putting those beliefs on the stand and questioning them. Mm -hmm. um, is this really true? Where did it come from? Getting curious, where did this idea come from? Welcome to the Wild Visionary Podcast, where I encourage everybody to tap into that untamed wild part of ourselves, where we can create just like we did in childhood and build and believe in something that maybe nobody else can see right now, but we can step into the identity of being a visionary, a future-focused leader, creator, and entrepreneur. I'm Audra Bartlett, a multi-passionate, multi-business entrepreneur. I'm a mom to a Pisces kid and a pit bull mix dog, and I'm here to shake things up, to talk about all things expanding your mind, finding resources that are right in front of you, and teach you how to be a Jedi of problem solving, just like I am. So welcome, Wild Visionary, where we will bridge the gap between I can't see it for me and becoming and embodying everything about being a wild visionary. Welcome back, wild visionaries. Today, our guest is Mary Wall. She's coming to us as a drink less coach. And I thought this was such an important thing to bring in the new year as we're doing our wellness series, because it is something that we all get to look at and really decide whether or not um, the amount we're drinking is comfortable for us, is good for us, and have a perspective because as we try to elevate ourselves, create more, do more, be more in tune with our intuition, this is something that we really can pause and look at and decide what's right for us in a conscious way. And um, she has a group called Less Wine, More You, and works one-on-one -on -one coaching people who want to shift their relationship with alcohol. So welcome, Mary. Thank you, Audra. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I like to tell the people how I met you. And it was actually on the Facebook, which, you know, we meet lots of people that way. But we do. <laughs> I, I kept watching you and seeing your evolution with your coaching, how you were showing up, and the shift into this uh, drink less coaching. And it really, as I personally went through my experience with questioning and shifting my own relationship with alcohol, which is something I haven't really talked a lot about because I've been kind of in process with it. But I decided a while ago to, to really look at it and make the decision in a different way uh, that was coupled with some trauma therapy. But it, uh, as I watched all of your posts go up, I just was so inspired by the things that you were saying and the content that you were giving people. And so that's really what drew me, you know, to talk with you today, because you were such an inspiration as I went through that journey personally. Oh, thank you. I'm blushing. If you can't see me, I'm blushing. <laughs> it's really interesting. You, you you mentioned about not wanting to talk about it because you were in the process. And that's where I was for a really long time. My focus before the less wine, more you was just the more you, which is, you know, in and of itself a big thing. Mm -hmm. But I had been drinking for 35 years. Yeah, I grew up in Ireland. Everybody was drinking. I think the first time I got drunk was on like, you know, Irish hooch, pachin at mm -hmm. age 15. <laughs> Um, I don't remember that night, <laughs> needless to say. But yeah, I, I had have been on, you know, drinking up, down, stopping drinking, being sober, you know, Octobers, dry Januaries, 
but all you know, I'd celebrate the end of a dry January by going out and you know having lots of drinks. As, as and lots and of binge do. drinking, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, let's go out. Let's let's go out and celebrate the end of dry January by getting mm-hmm. seriously drunk. Um, so I did that on and off and on and off. And I think I just reached a point last year, um, January last year, where I just felt like I had had enough to drink. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'm bored of drinking. I am fed up with not sleeping well I'm fed up with waking up at you know 3 4 a.m and just you know going oh my god you know I can't sleep and all my life is running through my mind that I'm grumpy with the kids the next day I was grumpy every I was like grumpy mommy in the morning every morning with the kids ready for school I just just started feeling sick of myself Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine at that time was running a three-week a three-month challenge She's like, oh, Mary, come on, come in my group, come in the three month challenge. And I was just like, there is no way I can do three whole months. But I jumped in, I said, I'll help her out. I jumped in and I did three months. And then the three months ended and I kept going. Mm. The thing is, prior to me going sober, I had coached lots of women who had not, they hadn't come to me with drinking, they'd come for other things. But drinking kind of nine out of 10 times was playing a role in it. And the drinking was getting in the way of them doing all the other things they wanted to do. But I never felt comfortable kind of putting my hand up and going, hi, I coach women to drink less whilst, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, I was having at least a half a bottle of wine because I that just felt out of integrity for me to do that. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until I decided, oh, Actually, yeah, I've been sober now for nine months. I've been alcohol free, which is a word I prefer words I prefer to use. So I thought I'm gonna, you know, put this out there and, and start posting on it and start offering it. And yeah. Be really yeah, good. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, to the point of the month, right? The the month long journey, I think often just requires this like immense willpower and you're just like powering through, you want to get through whatever sober October or dry January, whichever month it is. And once you get to the end and it's not really about changing your relationship with it, it's just finding a way to like tolerate the fact that you're not drinking and get to the end and then, and then do it. So it's, it's a very different way of interacting with it. It's nothing is nothing has changed. It's like dating a a terrible guy and then like just saying, I'm not dating anybody else for three months and then like making your way through. And then at the end, you just go back to the same kind of guy, right? You're not doing the work around it. And And you can do that for 30 days. You can, you can just, you can go, okay, especially in months like January, you can go, okay, 30 days, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to go to parties, I'm not going to do much. So it's not going to require a lot of me, even in terms of willpower, if you're somebody, say, that only really drank of a Friday or a Saturday evening, which lots of women do, but mm-hmm. they're drinking a lot on those evenings. So, you know, you don't get to change, you don't get to change the relationship. Whereas if you've taken it 90 days, that's a quarter of a year. That is a mm-hmm. quarter of a year. I'm like, yes, <laughs> Yeah, this is correct. Yes, yes. And shit happens. That you know, if we look at the next three months, you know, we're recording this in December and November. There will be Thanksgiving. There will be Christmas. There will be New Year's. There will be someone's birthday. There will be there might be a wedding. There will be stuff coming up in your life that you're going to have to go to. That you're going to have to deal with. You can't just hide at home. Well, you could hide at home for three months, but it makes for a pretty miserable life. 
Mm-hmm. And like you say, at the end of it, you kind of crawl back out and crawl to the nearest bar and drink yourself silly. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't look at how you're drinking, why you're drinking, what you're drinking, you know, instead of doing what the drinking is giving you. Um, it doesn't look at any of your beliefs around drinking, which we all have all these, you know, beliefs we, we mm-hmm. don't even realize that have, you know, they've gone in since childhood. I spoke to a woman today who remembers you know, one of her earliest memories is of her parents pouring gin and tonics mm-hmm. every evening. And they weren't big boozers, but at the end of their day, 6 p.m. every evening, very British, they would pour a large gin and tonic in the nice crystal glass with mm-hmm. the ice and everything and the lemon. And that for her was a real kind of, oh, this is what grown-ups do. Mm-hmm. This is a sophisticated grown-up thing. And as, she, as soon as she hit 18, she was then included in that club with her parents. She was the eldest child. Um, and those, you know, those things sit in deep and they're, they're hard to, they're hard to dig out and they're, they're, they can be hard habits to break. But when we become aware of them, when you know that that's in there and you know that that's why you're struggling so hard to not drink when you know, you're like, I really want to not drink. But at the same time, you're like, but I really want my gin and tonic and I can't not have my gin and tonic at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. It's understanding where that belief comes from. Yeah. And well, then I just think- having that kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think what you're saying is is a, a couple things is that we are socialized in a lot of ways, whether yeah. you are, you know, from Europe or whether you're in America, there's a whole socialization around and which is which is the basis for the habit formation, right? Yeah. We're 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 seeing this this constant pattern. The pattern is being perceived as regular and, and normal and just the way that it is. And like you're talking about your client who was looking at her parents pouring the gin and tonic, it just becomes this thing solidified in our brains of this is what you do. This is what the end of the day looks like. And yeah. so there's the point in which we're seeing it as children are growing up or the messaging, we get like bombarded with like, have a cold beer or drink this, yeah. you know, wine, or, you know, you deserve one, you've had a stressful day. And yeah. so there's that messaging. And then as you kind of take on that messaging, that marketing, those socializations, that becomes part of your ingrained habit. Um, so you now adopted this, doing it every day or every weekend as part of it. And so it's yeah. like, then at that point, if you are deciding to stop or shift the relationship in a different way, you then kind of have to be really rooted in why you're doing it. Because I feel like you go to spaces then and people are like, well, why aren't you drinking? Or, you know, like you become like the outsider in a lot of ways. Right. And we we're hardwired for wanting to like fit in with our group. And so now we're like, we've, we've formed an entire group around socialized drinking and we're, kind of removing ourselves from the group yeah it can be I mean it, it, things like that can stop a lot of women from, from stopping drinking and it's really important that you mention the why because it is very important to have a strong why mm-hmm. but equally important is understanding why your subconscious has its why nots mm-hmm. and that's all the reasons because we think we've got this I speak to women who say but you know I, you know, I know it's because of my kids and I know it's because I don't want to get cancer. And I have all these amazing whys, but I still can't stop. And they're thinking, what is wrong with me? There must be something really, really messed up with me that I have this powerful why and I still can't stop. I must be just screwed. I don't know how swear your podcast gets, but I was going to say, go screwed. ahead and swear on this podcast. <laughs> I must be totally fucked. 
But what they're yeah. thinking is, I'm fucked. I'm irritated. There's something really wrong with me. I must have a major problem um, because I can't even do it for my kids. I can't even do it for my health. And what they don't realize is that they are up against all that subconscious conditioning, all those beliefs that have just been in there since childhood, all the billions spent on advertising alcohol. And it's mm. all in there and all the, you know, watching the TV shows, watching the movies, book characters where, you know, the female lead comes in and she's had a hard day and she opens the fridge and she pulls out the wine. Mm-hmm. It's it's everywhere. It's in the air. And as you say, it's normalized. People will ask, oh, why aren't you drinking? Whereas if we were to give up smoking, for example, very somebody would rarely say, oh, Mary, why have you given why are you giving up smoking? Well, what's that all about? Did you have a problem with nicotine? Or, you know, oh, you're giving up the heroin. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but alcohol is so normalized. And you know, people talk about drugs and alcohol. It's probably alcohol and drugs if they do that alphabetically, but that's not how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of forget that alcohol is a drug. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to like, you know, I'm not about demonizing alcohol. If you're an adult, if you know what you're drinking, and you know, there are lots of women that will scrutinize the label of every single thing they eat, every product they put on their skin, yet they don't actually think, you know, what it is that's in their glass that they're having, you know, a bottle of every night. Mm-hmm. And it's just being aware, knowing what you're putting into your body, understanding how it works. Yeah, all of those yeah. things. Well, and I think to some extent, like the the messaging around it is slowly starting to shift like the awareness about being sober curious or the the different kind of beverages they have out there for people who want to be um alcohol free or want to just maybe take a break from some time to time has become more prevalent i feel like in the last couple years yeah but really really just the last couple years um and it's it's been that constant messaging and so it's I think what you're saying is really important that we have the tendency to kind of mentally beat ourselves up like what's wrong with me why can't I shift that what's you know like I should be able to like I want to do it for my kids or I want to do it for myself whatever whatever your reason is but you have to think about like anything else to the point like if you were trying to go from not working out to working out, there would be a whole bunch of things that came along with that, but that's okay. If you wanted to completely change the way you cooked for yourself, like that would take a while, even if you're sitting there being like, wow, I have high you know, cholesterol and I have these issues, right? It still takes a little bit of time. So it's, I think being just compassionate with yourself that it's a habit that was formed with a lot of conditioning behind it just like everything else we do like even if you wanted to change the way you brushed your teeth Mm -hmm. like you'd have to consciously go into the bathroom every day and think about how you're holding the toothbrush and how you're angling it and you know what you're doing and how much toothpaste you're putting it on like it would be and you would have days where you mess it up yeah. Right? where you went in, you were tired, you just brushed your teeth, you forgot to do it right. But like, so it, it's, it's a habit and it's practice and it's thinking about all the ways that you can really acknowledge your thoughts around it. Um, One of the things I, you know, I think 
when you're talking about the more you part and the more you in coaching is like, we always want people to be more them, right? Where yeah. it's like, it's like, please give me somebody who I can help like strip away from all this conditioning. So they're like shining bright, like a diamond or something. You're like, yeah. they're just bling blinging out there. But this is one of the things that can really cloud some of that. And I think yeah. it's what you're kind of speaking to, even when you weren't coaching around drinking, you were coaching around all the other things. And it was one of those things that was constantly coming through. And I remember when I made the decision, you know, I had thought, I know all the things too. I know how it's not great for your body and it's da, da, da. but I kept telling myself, I want to know who she is without it. Like who yeah. I am without this, because it had been something that was part of my life since I was a teenager. And it's like, oh, like if I want to get to the next level, I need to know that. I need to know who she is. That is an amazing question. And that is also for a lot of women, women that I speak to, especially maybe women in the 50-ish age group, that is a terrifying question. Mm. Um, that is a question so scary for lots of women that they would rather keep drinking, especially women that have, you know, whose children might be older. They put a lot of time and, and energy into bringing up kids. They might be, in, you know, in a relationship with somebody. They've been doing it for a long time, but they're kind of like, mm, things are just a bit going through the motions. Um, they might be in a job where they're like, literally again, going through the motions and they're like, they kind of know they want more, but they are terrified that if they take the drink away, that there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. They're afraid they'll lose their friendship groups. They're afraid that there, there is. They're like, who am I without the drinking? They're like, they don't know. I speak and to them. And they don't want to answer joke. it, right? They, they, they're scared to answer it. Mm -hmm. They don't know. And I take it back because I think, you know, asking what do you want? If somebody's not used to thinking about their own wants and needs for such a long time, that's like, what? We like to do things like say, what do you like? You know, what colors do you like? And even like someone will go, well, I used to really like blue, but I haven't thought about that question for a long time. Mm -hmm. I was like, what music do you like? And they might say, oh, well, you know, we listen to this and that kind of music because that's what my husband likes to listen to. I mm -hmm. say, well, just play around with the radio, play around with all the different, like, you know, your digital radio or on your, you know, computer or something. Like just discover kinds of music you like just as a path to discovering what it is they want. And mm. I was listening to some weird folk music last week. And I mean, it, it was weird, but it's something, it, it was actually an Irish folk uh, music artist. And I never have said I like folk music, but it came on. It was a, a radio show that was introducing new um, acts. I was just like, I really like that. I thought, I'm somebody that likes folk music. <laughs> I never knew that. I'm 51 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's that, that rediscovering themselves mm -hmm. I have a, a, a lovely lady who has started drawing again after 30 plus years of not doing art mm. she loved drawing as a child but the teacher said she wasn't any good at it so she didn't get to kind of pursue it in a professional way and now she's just she's picked up her pencil and she's drawing and it's uncovering those hidden parts of you that kind of give you so much nourishment mm -hmm. um but yeah, that, that builds up that sense of you. I think that's for me, the you, it's the uncovering and discovering. I mean, there are some bits that you kind of like unearth things like, where am I? I'm down. Remember like Lassie? The running room was a Lassie. And like, Lassie, oh, yeah, yeah. where is she? And like, she's down the well. I'm down here. Come and get me. And like climbing back out of the well and just going, 
who am I? I've been down a well for 30 years or 20 years or 10 years. And mm-hmm. who am I? What do I like? What excites me? What's fun for me? How do I enjoy moving? What do I like to eat? It is a, you know, yeah, yeah it's a much used phrase. It's a journey of, of yeah. just rediscovery of self. Well, and I like compassion. how you're, yeah. And I like how you're saying that the little, like just the little things, like, like we don't have to like, go and take you know figure everything out like this is everything I want in my (laughs) life this is my deep-seated purpose but that like oh you used to draw do you still you know try drawing again like is it something you're still interested in what color do you really like and they're like well I don't I don't really know it makes me actually think of so I I worked in restaurants for a long time and I would go to the tables and sometimes I would ask somebody like how do you want your steak cooked and they wouldn't know how to answer the question like they would turn to their partner or somebody like hey how do I how do I how do I want my steak cooked and I'm like it's so interesting like it was just more of like I you know when I when I worked in restaurants I felt like it was kind of a a social or psychological experiment just seeing like the interactions but I just thought oh that's fascinating yeah I'm like this is so interesting that like this person doesn't even know how to answer this question for themselves about what they like and and I think that happens like you're talking about being in the well like it's it's something that can feel scary and overwhelming because you've lost touch with it, but yeah. it also becomes something so beautiful when you start to like explore it yeah. and you get that like spark and you see the light coming out of that well. Yeah. And it just becomes this, this discovery. And I, and I think this is important to acknowledge because stopping drinking or shifting your relationship with it is like just one part. Yeah, of it this, is. Right. It's like, okay, like, I've done this, but then you get to, what do I like? But on that, it also makes me think of um, both Mary and I went to the same life coaching school. And I remember uh, the head of the school, Brooke, talking about, um, I remember her saying, and I just kept like playing it over and over, like, what are you tolerating? Like, what are you tolerating? Yeah. Because the other part is when you stop drinking, you're stopping numbing some of the things you're tolerating. And when yeah. you're talking about like, the relationship that's really not serving you or the job where your coworkers are kind of real nasty to you or whatever it is, like then you have to do the work around what you are tolerating too. Yeah. And, and, and with, again, a massive dose of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like the awareness on its own can be quite cruel. It can be quite confronting for people to kind of, you know, take away take away the drink and you you know where all the thoughts are coming from. And then you kind of look at your life you go, well, my, my marriage isn't where I want it to be. And mm-hmm. my house is a tip or, you know, and I'm, I've been in this job for so long and to get, you know, really down on yourself about it and to give yourself a hard time. Mm-hmm. Just having that, you know, that self-compassion of, you know, going, I'm okay. This is okay. I'm a human being like other human beings. And, and to speak to yourself with that voice that you would a friend, mm-hmm. um, because we can be so hard on ourselves. And, and again, it's, having an inkling that thing we are tolerating 
sometimes stops women from taking that break because they don't want to see it. It's like, I, I know mm-hmm. if you kind of like peel the, the band-aid back of it and it's hurting and you go, well, you know what, I'm going to stick it back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and that's so true. I like we, I don't want to see what's festering under there because it yeah. might be like really... Like, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, you and it... We're just going to put it back on and pour another glass for now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's very gentle yeah looking at what are we tolerating what are we and it's not necessarily to mean that anything's like terribly wrong with your relationship you just might be settling for you know having got into a habit of communicating in a certain way of just you know my husband and I for example we you know we were together a long time before we had children for the 15 years we lived in the states for a long time so we spent a lot of that time sat at bars sat Mm -hmm. at bars drinking together having fun going out going to restaurants and talking lots of shit, you know, when you, as yeah, you do, yeah, you yeah, sure, quite yeah. a lot to drink. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, kind of with children that continued at home, um, you know, we'd pour some wine, have some beer, da, da, da. I mean, also you looked after the children at the same time. They weren't neglected. They were there. Yeah, yeah. But it, it just became a habit of that was our way of connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually stopped drinking shortly after I did. No pressure. He just saw that I was doing it and you know saw how much happier and healthier I seemed so he just mm. followed which was amazing I didn't Beautiful. expect him to because he was a huge drinker mm. um but yeah it was then realizing that okay we used to drink together to connect and I was tolerating just kind of sat at home not planning a social life because I was tired mm-hmm. drinking then feeling tired then feeling blah and then telling myself and telling myself I couldn't go out couldn't have fun couldn't do this, that, and the other to, you know, have a good social life because we had young kids at home and believing all of that. Mm-hmm. Then believing all of that, buying into that, you know, tragic story and numbing it all out and escaping with wine on repeat, on mm-hmm. repeat, you know, every most days, you know, five days a week on repeat with that one. Um, so, yeah, when we stopped, when I stopped, it sounds like, okay, I, I want to have that connection with my husband. I still want to connect with him. But I want real connection. Yeah. This wasn't real connection. It felt like real connection, but it actually wasn't real connection. Mm. It was See, two people with alcohol, but yeah. not really. You were like connecting with the alcohol. Way. Yeah, we're connecting with the alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His, mm. his, his beer was connecting with my wine. <laughs> yeah. And they were having a little like party together <laughs> and you just happened together, to be there. <laughs> yeah, we happened to be there, but it, there wasn't any deep, real connection you know, forging. It wasn't forging it, the kind of connection I wanted. Mm-hmm. So taking away the wine then gave the opportunity to go, okay, what do I want? And how can we connect better and, you know, have the time that we want to have together in a in a non-alcoholic way that, that is more meaningful. Yeah. And and I think that's that's speaking to it like it's scary to to go across, like traverse that. But then the things that open up and it makes me think of some of your posts you put up of like, you know, I would have never worked out or I've never done this or I've never gotten up and explored this on a Saturday morning or like all the things like, like you think that you, your life is actually getting smaller because, oh, I won't be able to connect with people over going out and doing these social things that you have been used to doing it, but it actually gets bigger. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, I would never have, you know, I'm up doing exercise classes at seven o'clock in the morning live. I would never have done that. I'm, I'm even still kind of going, who are you? I used to look at people, like, especially when we lived in the States, because in England, 
back in the early 2000s, you know, people didn't really work out that much. <laughs> but in America, <laughs> they did. You know, these guys were kind of a bit far, much further ahead of us in, in, in that respect. And I used to look at my husband's cousins and, you know, they were like five cold gym bodies, always working out and, you know, and their little gear and everything and really cute. I felt like they were like from another planet. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is just a different species. Mm-hmm. This isn't me. This could never be me. It, it didn't even enter my mind that I could, none of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm like, you know, I, I know why I'm exercising. I want to be strong. I want to, you know, I want to be 80 and jumping around and have, mm-hmm. you know, muscles and bone density and all of those things but it just surprises me that you know how much women like me and and lots of women we tell ourselves I'm not the kind of woman I'm not that kind of person I could never be that kind of person Mm -hmm. and again we base all that on just you know beliefs and you know the throwaway comment that some well-meaning person hopefully well-meaning person made when you were a young child about you maybe not being sporty or athletic or, Mm -hmm. or you know the things that adults do when they don't realize the impact they have on kids. Yeah. And we take that in and we just, you know, we build on it. Some, you know, but there's yeah. so much. I mean, my, yeah, I'm, I'm doing things now that I think I would never have done that. I go to this dance class with the old ladies. I'm one of the youngest. I'm 51. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm down mm-hmm. this like useful old stone barn in England at 10 o'clock in the morning, mm. stone cold sober on a Friday morning, dancing with feathers. Seriously, like she oh pulls God, out this oh bag God. of white feathers. Let's just like, literally thinking, I just need wings and a fucking tutu, and I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> wings and a tutu mm-hmm. and my bag of feathers, and everyone is beaming, and it is so joyful. And think, mm-hmm. there's no alcohol needed for this. I didn't need alcohol to dance, and that was something I told myself. I would be mm-hmm. so shy getting on a dance floor and be like, oh my God, no, I can't dance. Everyone's going to look at me. Oh. I need to have 10 more drinks before I can even consider it. And then all of a sudden you find yourself there. Like, and I think that's, that's one of the things like it's, it's, you know, and I, and I think the messaging, not only are we telling, we are telling ourselves that we can't have fun. Um, because partly because we haven't done the work around it like maybe when we first started going out or dancing or anything like alcohol was part of it but there's the messaging also around like this is how you have fun right everybody's out there at the party with the drinks and the things and all this messaging like this is this equals fun and so we adopt that too um but when it's not there, you get to actually really have fun, like from whatever expression you want to. Yeah. What's to your be. fun? Yeah. Yes. Instead of like, you know, and buying into the, and the, and, and, and the flip side of the, you know, the prescribed, this is fun, is that, you know, the bottomless brunch, boozy brunches. And I'm sure you guys have those in the States. Mm-hmm. We have the oh, yeah. bottomless, bottomless Prosecco, mimosa mm-hmm. lunches and, and everything. It's like, if you opt out of that, then you're a party pooper. If mm-hmm. you don't buy into our narrow definition of socializing and fun in a group, then you're there's something wrong with you. You're a party pooper. You're a downer. And I think people fear that as well. And they think, I don't want to be the downer. What if I'm not mm-hmm. fun when I'm not drinking? What if other people don't like me? What if, oh, God, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, the, and to that, like when I'm coaching my clients like around business or around bringing their the I call them like their idea babies and they're bringing it out and they're becoming visible with with all of that like there's a lot of what happens is when you're not rooted in your energy around your decision 
Um, it really opened it up for other people's opinions mm -hmm. to come in. And so like the example here is you're at a boozy brunch, other people's opinions, but I, I always encourage people to kind of like take a step back. And if you're capable, like I'm, I'm very much an energetic person. So if you can read the energy that's happening, but even if you're just listening to the words that they're saying a lot, like most of the time, it's actually about their insecurities, yeah. not about you. So it's yeah. that person reflecting to you being like, you know, they're feeling uncomfortable because then they think like, do I have a problem? Should I be doing that? Why am yeah. I not doing that? Does she think she's better than me? Whatever it happens yes. to be, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that's a big one. Does she think she's better than me? She's judging me mm -hmm. because I used to drink. She thinks she has a, she stopped. We used to drink the same amount. Mm -hmm. Now she stopped for her health or whatever reason she's saying. So what does that say about me? And mm -hmm. it's often the people that are the most worried that will put up the biggest kind of fuss mm -hmm. about it. Oh, just have a drink. Just do it. Like well, I just, to have, say, one. They I don't... just have one. Oh, keep yeah. me company. You, I can't, you can't leave me drinking on my own. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah. We all, we, we all know, or we, we've all yeah. known, you know, at least one of them. Yes. And, and yeah. And it's just reminding yourself in that moment. It's like, because they are uncomfortable yeah. and they're trying to make you so uncomfortable that you just lean in so that they don't have to sit with their own discomfort. Yeah, and exactly. that's not your responsibility. And not everybody is going to feel comfortable enough with kind of, you know, arriving at the brunch and going, Hey everybody, I'm mm -hmm. here and I've given up alcohol and I've been yeah. and I love it. And I feel so much better. And they'll look mm -hmm. at you like, yeah, piss off. <laughs> but it's, you know, in the beginning, you know, I would say to people, you know, you can't, it's okay to tell white lies if you're in a group situation. It'll depend on who you're with. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're with a good friend and you're you're happy telling them, if you're out with a kind of a wider group of people and you just can say, you know what, I'm driving or mm -hmm. I'm on antibiotics or whatever it is, you don't have to get into the whole, you know, why you're not drinking if, it, if it's yeah. in a sort of, depending on the social setting. I haven't, um, I haven't been feeling very good lately. I don't want to make it worse. And yeah. that could actually be the truth because you hadn't yeah, been yeah. feeling good yeah, exactly. from the amount yeah. you were drinking and you don't want to make it worse. Like, yeah. And if somebody says, you know, oh, what are you having to drink? You know, I think in the past, I would have said things like, oh, I'm not drinking. I, I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm... Whereas if someone says, Audra, what would you like to drink? And say, oh, I'll have a, what's your favorite non-alcoholic temple? And just ask for that. Yeah. And I have women practice saying that. I have them practice, literally, just you know, repeat and practice at home by themselves as an exercise, being in a bar, being in a restaurant. The server comes over to the table, they're out with friends, and just practicing, you know, going online before, doing their homework, checking the drinks menu if they're worried, um, or even phoning up if they don't have the drinks menu online, and choosing in advance what you're going to drink. So you kind of have an idea of what they have, so that when that server comes to the table and everyone's chatting, it's all and people are ordering their this and that, their wines and their cocktails. You're not suddenly like a deer in the headlight. Oh my God, I'll just have whatever it was I used to have just mm -hmm. to get the attention off me. Because some people do find that attention. If it, you think, oh my God, people are looking at me, the, the service here. So just being able to calmly and smoothly ask for your, you know, virgin mojito or your, you know, non-alc brand, you know, by the brand name, you can say, can I have a, here they have a lucky star beer, lucky star beer, lucky striped beer, whatever it is. You mm -hmm. can just ask for it. And, and people might not even notice. Who knows? 
is. And that's the thing. You could say, I mean, there's a there's a lots of non-alcoholic spirits here in the UK, mm-hmm. lots of non-alcoholic gins. So you could easily refer to if you knew they had a brand of something, mm-hmm. you could say, could I have whatever brand and tonic? Mm-hmm. Most people aren't going to pick up on the fact that you know, they're like really weird. That, you know, that's a hang on a minute. It's not alcoholic brand. I just Googled right. that and found out that, you know. Found that. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm at the table going, what is she drinking? They're yeah. not, unless you're like, oh, yeah. Oh my so, this makes me think of. have to make a big deal of it. Yeah, this makes me think of, this is the best. Um, <laughs> when I, when I, uh, I mean, this is years ago when I was pregnant, but I hadn't told anybody I was pregnant yet. Oh. So my cousin was getting married And my mom was like, well, let's not announce it before the wedding. We don't want to make it, you know, like take her light away, like the spotlight, (laughs) right? Like let her get married and then we can tell the family that you're pregnant afterwards. Right. So I, you know, very consciously, like I was, I was several months along, like, and so if I look back in the pictures, I'm like, I think it was a little obvious, but like nobody said anything. And I wore a dress that was like, kind of like fluffed out, you know, I was just like, whatever, which apparently was a giveaway to my, my grandmother. She was like, Audra normally doesn't dress like that. Why is she dressed like that later on to my mom? But the whole night, I just kind of wandered around with something that looked like, like a cocktail or like, like I, yeah. or I, or I even had like a little glass of wine near me just because they'd poured it around the table. Right. So everybody thought that I was drunk at this party and I was stone cold sober, hadn't had anything, but like just the illusion of me, like having a drink with a lime on it and having a glass of wine out on the table. Like people assumed that I was drunk at the party dancing with them and they had no idea. So you can like, you can create the illusion if you need to for a little while until you're like, yeah, sure. Exactly. And you, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can you can keep that up as long as you like. And you know, sometimes here I, you know, we live in a kind of rural small town. So oftentimes if I go up to the bar and I'll ask for a, a you know non-alcoholic gin and tonic, they'll put they'll go to put it into like a I guess we call a highball glass, like a kind of like, mm-hmm. like an Collins glass. glass. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I want it in a gin glass, please. I want it one of those big, you know, the mm-hmm. have it like in the big fancy glass that they put the normal gin and tonic. I want my pretty glass. Mm-hmm. I want it to look good. I, I like that visual thing of having the nice looking glass. Yeah. I want my non-alcoholic um prosecco in a prosecco glass, thank you. I don't want it in a in a you know coke glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. yeah. I I also I'll go I'll go to this one uh bar that I would go to regularly in the past and I order a non-alcoholic version of a cocktail that I would always get. And I cannot really even tell the difference between the alcohol and the non-alcohol, but I get it in the short glass with the big cube in it. Like, and it is just for me, like part of, part of what I wanted to do was I wanted to continue to participate in some of the the rituals around it and so like I found ways to just continue to participate like I could still meet a girlfriend for drinks and have this like mocktail and and I wasn't trying to like limit myself in that way or like at the end of the night I find found these drinks called Hayo which are have adaptogens in them and I would sit down with my big wine glass and pour this like adaptogen drink in it and like just go through the whole motion of it which is like a large part of what is yes. actually really enjoyable is the ritual around it. 
And also, I mean, the ritual thing for a lot of, if, if you're somebody that's used to say coming in for work or just marking the end of, you know, but whether you're working at home or you're out or you're looking after kids, whatever you're doing, but kind of that transition time for a lot of women having that glass of wine or that mixed drink at that time kind of marks the end of one part of the day. And like, it's the beginning of the mm-hmm. thing. I'm going to pour a drink. I'm going to start making dinner. And still, you know, they don't want to miss out on that. And you don't have to miss out on that. You can still do that with your, you know, favorite non-alcoholic drink and explore non-alcoholic drinks. Mm-hmm. Don't just limit yourself to thinking, oh, God, I've got to drink, you know. Odules or something. Soda. Soda or something or yeah. juice or herbal teas. There are so many amazing um, non-alcoholic kombuchas and wines and I guess you call them hard ciders and beers and mocktails and even just, you know, just plain soda water with ice and lime and a sprig of rosemary and make it look pretty and put it in a nice glass and, you know, take a moment just to sort of look at it and smell it and enjoy it and mm-hmm. still have that ritual. I think that that, that ritual aspect is an important part of yeah. drinking and, and keeping that in your day. You don't have to lose it. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. You just don't want to drink that bathwater anymore. That bath yep. water. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, you've gone through a couple, a couple tips, right? One of those being the, when you're out, you can maybe look at the menu ahead of time. So you're not feeling as nervous. You can be there out and just order your drink. You don't have to make any excuses for it. You just order what you want to order. You know, we kind of just talked about another thing about being the ritual of it. What are some other things that you offer people, you know, if your clients to kind of process or to not process, but like to, to be able to make this transition? I would say, look into why you want to stop. Think about why you want to stop. So we kind of, you know, for a lot of women, it's health or it's their kids, or it's just, you know, feeling better, just generally feeling better. Um, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be deep. <laughs> it's kind of like people say, oh, you know, I want to, you know, feel out my skin to be amazing and gorgeous. If, if that's going to do, if, if that's going to be enough for you to have you stopping and or taking a break, that's great. Whatever will work for you. And you, know, you probably, I don't know if you use this for clients or you heard about the five questions, the five whys. If you're a bit kind of not sure, you might say, oh, you know, my health. And it's like, well, why is it important for you to, you know, have your health and the answer to that could be oh I want you know I want to be active mm-hmm. when I'm older why is it important for you to be active when you're older and so on so on so you get to the kind of root thing you might say well I want to be able to travel when I'm older mm-hmm. I want to you know go backpacking around Africa when I'm in my 70s and that's a big deal for you and that's something that you've always dreamt of so it's imagining then that kind of that future version of you and what she needs now from you is for you to drink a bit less yeah. So that she will be healthy enough then to be able to do that so that you'll be able to have that dream come true. So that's mm-hmm. something we do is looking at the why. And then there's looking at the drinking thinking. And that mm-hmm. is uncovering. And you can do this by social event, like say, for example, um, Thanksgiving or Christmas or a wedding or a birthday, or even just going out to meet friends for you know Sunday brunch. What are your beliefs around that with drinking? It might be, you know, you can't have fun. I can't have fun without drinking. I can't go to brunch without drinking. I can't do Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, whatever it is. I can't dance. I can't see this person. I can't see that person. Dig them all out mm-hmm. and, and kind of and, and question them. 
mm-hmm. you know, because we think, oh, you can't have fun without drinking. You can't have fun. It's just fact. Our brains go, it's fact. No questions. You go, actually, hang on a minute. I've got some questions for you. <laughs> so it's, yeah. putting those, it's like putting them on the stands, like in your favorite, you know, courtroom drama show. It's putting those beliefs on the stand and questioning them. Mm-hmm. Um, is this really true? Where did it come from? Getting curious. Where did this idea come from? And a lot of the time we won't know because it will have been childhood, images, things around us that just seeped into our, you know, developing brains like sponges. And then, you know, answering the, asking the question, I think is also quite powerful. Of What if the opposite is true? Mm-hmm. What if instead of it being, you know, I have to have alcohol to relax or have fun. What if alcohol is not fun? Drinking alcohol is making, you know, it difficult to relax. What if I can't relax with alcohol? How is it interfering with relaxing? And looking at it from all the angles. Um, that's a good one. And planning, 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 planning. Mm-hmm. Planning. Be prepared. Like you said, you know, check the menu if you're going out. Um, if you know you're going to be around some people that are tricky, tricky in that they're going to be quizzing you. Mm-hmm. And pushing you pushers push, push you. yeah the pushers if you're going to be around the pushers and yeah they, they do exist mm-hmm. be prepared for the pushers even if it means you know playing with the truth somewhat be prepared for the pushes practice what you're going to say anticipate that you know the pusher or somebody you know might ask you know give you some resistance and just have a little something just prepared and practice it practice saying it out loud so that you you can say it you know fluently and it's and with conviction and just be like okay and just reassure yourself give yourself you know love Mm. and compassion it is a process it's not linear Mm -mm. you will kind of go I'm doing well and then the next day you'll go oh my god I've had a drink I'm the world's worst person and it's never going to work it's like no it's just part of the the Mm -hmm. process stay curious if you do slip up um, and pretty much everybody slips up at one point and they drink more than they planned or they drink off plan. I just get really curious about, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. What was happening that day in the lead up to me drinking more than I planned to? What was going on in my life? What was I feeling stressed about? Mm-hmm. And then kind of look at, well, how could I handle that situation differently? How could I alleviate some of the stress in a situation like that again? And just learn from it and move on. Yeah, it's it's not, it's, just if you can think of it as not so morally charged it can just be like oh like I planned to go to the gym this day and then I didn't go like why did I not go or what happened or why didn't I show up for myself it gets to be the same thing like it doesn't have to be this I'm a terrible person because I drank right it's just okay like let's be curious about why I didn't it made me think I'm I'm re-listening to The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck have you I have it but I do love Martha Beck I have I've read you know what's amazing? Hmm. <laughs> so many books, and hmm. I've read most of them. You know, in the evening time, after I'd had a couple of glasses of wine, I had years worth of books to reread because mm-hmm. I don't remember a fraction of what I read in those books because alcohol affects the memory. I know well, this. I think oh. this is like so. I'm glad we you reminded me to talk about this. I think this is so important. Like the realization of the memory, right? Well, first, let me let me finish the Martha Beck thing. I just want to say that it reminds me of how she talks about walking back the cat 
and how you like walk back, like, okay, like what happened before that? What happened before that? What happened before that? To understand kind of like what maybe like sparked you, like you had a little bit of a disagreement with your boss and then you got into this like negative mental train and then you went out to the drinks and you had planned to only have one or you'd planned to not, but then it happened. Like you can walk back the cat and figure that out. And then speaking to that, like you talking about this, like I have to reread these books, the memory, the memory loss is real. Yeah. Like it is. And when like, you start getting you're you're a little you're a little on the young side ish. But when you start getting kind of, you know, more unless somebody's been in surgical menopause or has, has other health things, when you start getting into, you know, the kind of mid forties where the perimenopause, you know, really starts kicking ass and into kind of, you know, early fifties when you've got the full menopause thing, then there's the brain fog. So you've got all that coming on as well, to the point where you're thinking, you know, I have women that they think they're like literally losing it. They're like Women are worried that they're getting early onset Alzheimer's, dementia, because they're like, I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything. I've got this bloody brain fog. And, you know, when they stop drinking for a while, they're suddenly like, oh, I can there it is again. Yeah. It was, you know, yes, but, you know, so if there is menopause, I think that it might be, there might be some brain fog too, but it's, it's so exacerbated by drinking. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the less it takes. It really, you know, it can take a couple of glasses of wine and you think, yeah, I didn't feel, I didn't feel in any way inebriated or drunk or pissed. I'm fine. But then it's still, it, the effect the next day, the the just the fog and the, the slower brain functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I round this conversation out, I, I want to kind of say two things. The first is um, I want to ask you, Uh, what would you say to somebody right now who's like really kind of, you know, they've been going back and forth. They're like unsure about whether whether they want to do this. Like, what would you say to them right now? I would say try it. You have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Try it for a week. Try it for 30 days. Try it for 90 days. If you decide you want to go back to drinking the way you were drinking afterwards, that's up to you. If you work with me or a coach that uses the methods I use, other coaches are available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you, know, um, you probably won't want to drink. Yeah. But just try it because people will yeah. say, oh, you know, I can take it or leave it. It's like, well, why not leave it? Why not leave it and see how much better you feel? It's yeah. just an experiment. Why not try why it not for a little while? It? Yeah. Yeah. Just try it. Just experiment. Mess well, around. And, yeah. yeah. And I, um, And I want to speak like if, you know, anybody who's listening to this, you know, you can absolutely navigate this on your own, but from hearing everything we just talked about of some of what comes up after you've made this decision or, you know, some of the things to work through and the way you can connect with yourself differently, I really do encourage, you know, having somebody to support you having somebody to, whether it's Mary, who you get to listen to her delightful accent the entire time, um, or, you know, a therapist or whoever it is to really support that, that journey, um, of rediscovery, especially if it's been 10, 20, 30 years, you've had this relationship. It's so good to have somebody support you and hold your hand through that. And, there's so many things that come up that need to be just processed, yeah. right? And and sat with and understood yeah. because 
it's not, I wouldn't say you're like a totally different person, but you're a, a person who's in a lot of ways, like you said, kind of rediscovering, you're becoming more you, but there's a yeah. lot of parts that you don't even know exist or that you forgot were there entirely. So yeah. and you can feel quite tender. You can feel mm -hmm. quite exposed without the alcohol, quite vulnerable and mm -hmm. a bit sort of like, you know, a lot of women are like, now what? Mm -hmm. Now what? Now who am I? Now what do I do? Now what yeah. does my life look like? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I called it um, when I was going through it, like the, the emotional rawness and the emotional rawness came after that month, yeah. after yeah. the first month, it's like the first month you get through and you're like, okay, so that's so bad. And then, yeah. and I then there's this. like the, and I would call it, it was like, it felt like, um, like I was like there, I would say it was like kind of like the volcano floor where like that lava was like popping up. And all of a sudden you have these emotions and you're like, Whoa, where did you come from? I remember like, getting so upset about something so minor, but recognizing and having the awareness, like I'm not actually mad about this thing. I just hadn't processed all of these emotions around my life and around things I was yeah, experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And now I can like, now, now I'm be being given the opportunity to like process this stuff, which any way, shape or form, whether you go through this and you're alcohol free for a while and you reintroduce it or not, like, you're actually clearing up your internal emotional yeah. uh, turmoil, things that have just been smashed down, pushed down for years, you know? Yeah, there's a backlog. There's, mm -hmm, a, backlog, there's a little backlog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna finish I'm gonna finish this with a couple of questions for you. Sure. So the first one is uh we're going down in dirty three. Number one is what is a quote that has profoundly impacted your life? Going back a long time, and I think they've changed their motto since, but growing up, from me being about eight, nine years old, it was the brownie motto, which is the kind of junior version of the girl guides, be prepared. I remember mm -hmm. it on a little pencil, be prepared. Um, and I think I'm somebody who's over-prepared in the past from being in a controlling way, but when it comes to alcohol, uh, be prepared. Mm -hmm. plant the seeds you know read the books listen to the podcast plant the seeds in your brain and be prepared before you even plan to stop or plan to mm -hmm. take a break but yeah for me be, be prepared yeah it's probably about the only one I can remember too because it's got you know two words yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Easy. it's too straightforward longer yeah. than that I'm gonna mangle <laughs> yes even listening to this podcast is preparation for this, right? It is. It's, it's planting seeds in your mind it's just getting your brain kind of going oh yeah Yes. And it will take you as long as it takes you to get to, yeah. to Absolutely. making that decision. Like yeah. it can take people a long time to finally decide to yeah. really go through this work. But, yeah. you know, once you do. I have clients that come to me that have already stopped. Yeah. They've done the stopping. They've been stopped a couple of months and they're at the now what stage. And I have clients that come to me that are really, really, really want to stop. Mm hmm. And yeah. a lot of em emphasis and focus is on helping them to stop. So it's, yeah, be prepared. Nice. Plant your seeds. <laughs> so now what is a book you think everyone can benefit from reading? A book, everyone, if when it comes to alcohol, is Alcohol Explained by William Porter. Mm -hmm. It's, you can get it on Kindle for practically nothing. It's a little book, but it packs a big punch. Um, I, you know, in spite of having been a, you know, reasonably heavy drinker for 35 years I had no understanding I mean I, I could tell you all about books and every kind of food or, or 
all the you know nutrient labels, this, that, and what have you, skincare product ingredients. I was completely oblivious. Yes, I knew alcohol wasn't a health drink, but I was sure. oblivious <laughs> to you know, how it worked in the body, how it worked in the brain, the, the, the process by you know how addictive it was, um, what it actually is, <laughs> ethanol. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you know, as, as part of a cultural collective, there's a there's like a collective societal obliviousness. It's a bit of the emperor's new clothes. Nobody, yeah. we we don't want to know. Nobody we, wants we, to talk about it. Is actually yeah, let, know what's yeah, going like, on. Yeah, let's all just collectively pretend it's great and have another drink. So yeah, yeah. that was a real eye opener um, for me as a book. And, yeah. And so the last one is, what are three words that describe your vision for your most extraordinary life? Freedom. Fun. And beauty. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Where can the people find you? You can find me. I am on the the oldie Facebook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm still there. Uh, Mary Wall. I am on Instagram at. I changed my handle on Instagram for some reason, and they wouldn't let me change it back for eighteen days. So on Instagram, very confusingly, I am more you, less wine. Although by the time this comes out, I might be less you, less wine, more you. <laughs> and my Facebook group. I will. Is... I will link them below too, and Kate, when, when when this comes out in in January. But yes. And my yes, Facebook group is Less Wine, More You. Yes. Well, That's thank why. you I'm so on much. LinkedIn. I just started playing on LinkedIn, but I, I don't even know what I'm called on LinkedIn. I'm just there. Just find Mary on the internet and I'll link I'm it below. Yes. Do so. <laughs> Come and say hello. I'd love to say hello. Right. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if this episode really resonated with you, if you had some aha moments or, oh my gosh, then please share this episode with a friend who could really benefit from listening and give us a five-star review telling us how this episode may change your life. Wanting more? There's more than one way to work with me right now. The first is my form and flow, two-hour, one-to-one, very, very unique goal-setting session. So if you're wanting to do something different in 2024, you're wanting to design, be the architect of your next year, and find a way to create the form around it with the flow of creativity and the expansion bigger than you could possibly imagine, this is not your run-of-the-mill smart goals goal-setting. This is something you've never experienced before and will help you shift it in a way that is very, very true to you, I welcome you to that program. And the other thing is I still have spots available one-to-one. So if you're interested in one-to-one coaching with me, please go into the link in the show notes and we will radically shift so many things in your life over the next six months to a year. Much love.